Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Eyes on the Right podcast. I'm your host, Amy, and this is the podcast that uncovers all of the things purposely hidden in plain sight by the secret societies, the occultists, Hollywood, and the mystery religions of old, then ties them back to scripture to understand the real truth behind them. Hey, everybody, welcome back. We are finishing part two of Biblical Cosmology with Pastor Dean Odell. If you haven't listened to part one of this interview, go back and listen to part one and then jump back on here as we wrap up part two. So it's heaven's floor and our ceiling. And this is what the, the, the Bible reveals from Genesis. And, and Paul makes an interesting statement in Corinthians when he says, now we see through a glass darkly. But then when Jesus comes, we will see him face to face because it says in Revelation 6, he's going to roll back the firmament like a scroll. And we're that we will no longer have to see through the glass. We will see him face to face. And this is just throughout the Bible. So the firmament is talked about. Uh, sometimes it's referred to as the sky. You have to look it up, the different words. But again, it means a solid. And then you take the great works of Josephus because see, what I have a thing in here called the firmament and dishonest creationist. Okay. And what they do is they take the word rakia and try to say it just means expanse. That's a lie because it means expanding a solid. That's that's the full definition, and that's the way it's used in scripture. But they will say it's just an expanse and try to make it this outer space. Okay. That's not the firmament. The firmament is the solid dome that had windows. And then we see in, in uh, the flood of Noah, as we move a little forward in Genesis 7 and 8 and 9, but you see that it says the windows of heaven are open to let down water and it rained and the great deep was broken. So you had three sources of water to flood the earth and, and Noah. So again, he's saying this firmament dome had to have windows open in it to let water down. A lot of what we see in the earth, too, that we that the, they tell us are these massive craters from meteorites. A me any meteorite coming is going to be coming in at an angle. It's going to hit and slide. It's not going to create a perfect little circle dent. But if you opened a window and poured down massive trillions and trillions of gallons of water into one spot when it where it hit would cause a perfectly circle crater in the ground so oh yeah and and people have done experiments where they've shown like throw a rock this way you're going to have a, a a ditch and then boom not a perfect circle where it ends up but water poured down into dirt or sand straight down you get a perfect little circle crater in there so again, the evidence is there for that. But the firmament is your first issue. The second issue is, does the Bible define the shape of the earth? 100%. God tells us. So we got uh, Job 38, 14. And, he, and, and what's beautiful about that passage is we take the context, and that's where the Lord tells Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? So God himself is speaking to Job and correcting him, kind of rebuking him and saying and laying down some truth. So he says that there that the earth is like clay, and he says it, the King James will say it's turned, and a lot of people say, "Oh, see, that means it's spinning." No, the word there means to be changed, 
um, like you would change a potato into mashed potatoes. You change it into something else. So it says the earth is changed or formed like clay under the seal. All right. Now, the seal he's talking there is a seal ring the kings used to wear. Okay. And they would take a piece of wax or a piece of clay on a letter and it would be it would be a clump. And then the, the king would take his ring and he would press that seal, that, that clay or that uh, wax down flat. And it would cause an upturned edge and it would have it would have contours, but it was flat. OK, God said that's the that's the way the earth took shape. And I believe literally he has that ring on his finger. That's just my belief, you know, but he literally pressed it down flat. Um, and we get the same thing in Revelation 29, 20 and verse nine, because th this this is the. I say the New Testament version of Job 38, 14, because I was reading this passage just getting ready to preach a sermon on the marriage supper of the Lamb. I wasn't, it's, I wasn't thinking about creation. I wasn't planning a sermon. I'm reading this. And the King James says, you know, he's talking about there that after the Satan's been bound for a thousand years and then he's loosed and then he's going to gather the rebels and they're going to come against the camp of the saints. And it says they went up on the breadth of the earth. And I just, the Holy Spirit, I know, just stopped me going, why did they say breadth of the earth? Why didn't they just say, they could have just said they went up on the earth. Why add this adjective? Why add this descriptive, right? So I look it up, Greek word, plateaus, okay? I thought, well, that sounds awful like a, a lot like our word plateau. Well, guess what? It says from this word, which was plateaus. So the actual root word meant spread out flat. I was like, oh, my Lord, it's saying they went up on the flat earth. That's the definition of the breadth of the earth there. And when you look up the word gi, which is the word for earth, that's the word used meaning the whole earth. It's not just an area that's flat. They're talking about they went up on the flat earth. All right. So. And when you, you you go with those two things, and then, of course, you go into where, the, you know, Zechariah 111, where it says the earth is still in at rest. Uh, Psalm 93.1, the earth is fixed and stable and it cannot be moved, right? Um, so you get a domed, flat, motionless earth. Now, what's funny about that is, when I spent hours upon hours going through uh, Freedom of Information Act documents that had been released that were formally classified over and over and over again in NASA documents and manuals, in top secret stuff we stole from the Russians, everything, both Russian and American documents said the Earth is non-rotating flat. That's it. And they even and they even have the talk about the firmament. Uh, and it's all there. I mean, I, I've, I have two two hour. Sermons where I go through these documents and, um, uh, you know, I mean, one one your your listeners can look up right now. They can Google on their phone. NASA document 1207. And if you read the summary of that document, 
If you read in the middle of that document, if you read in the conclusion of that document, it's about the, it's called the derivation and definition of linear aircraft model. And it's talking about how mock aircraft fly over the earth. And it's all the calculus and trigonometry there, right? So, but it says in the beginning, it says that we are studying, this, this document is to define the derivation, meaning the origin, and then the definition, defining how a rigid aircraft, they say, of solid mass flies over, quote, this is NASA, a non-rotating flat Earth. Now, why would you ever say that if it doesn't exist? That's like saying we're going to use the Thor hammer idea for this, you know, thing we're building. It doesn't exist. Why would you bring it up, right? And it's in document after document, the propagation of flat earth, uh, the propagation of electromagnetic waves over flat earth, Army Research Laboratory. That's one. Um, the one I one of the ones I find most most awesome is the one 1962. We'd already allegedly sent up a satellite, right? 1962 classified document about the, the uh, compensation of wind and the unguided uh, about unguided missiles right in space. It says in that document, and it's in my book, it, say, uh, it says in that document that two NASA rocket scientists and computer scientists programmed an IBM computer to track their missiles in space using the formulas for a non-rotating flat Earth. Now, how or why would you ever program a computer to track a missile in space, meaning at a great altitude? using the, the non-rotating flat earth formula when you're going to have to, if you have a, a rotating spherical earth, you're going to have to find where that missile is in relation to the movement of the earth. Why are two rocket scientists programming NASA computers to do it over a, a non-rotating flat earth? I'll tell you why. They had to design things the way they actually are, the way they actually work. So that's just giving you the shape of the earth and the firmament. You know, we hadn't even got to the sun, moon, and stars yet. <laughs> well, and let me add a couple points because this is this is so good. I love this talk. You're right because those those official studies by these highly credentialed people would be invalid and unreliable. Mm -hmm. You cannot use those studies as formal studies based on something that, in their eyes, isn't true. You, it would be invalid. Now, here's what they here's what they say, and it's funny. This is this is the way they try to get out of it. And I've had them say, you know, we have NASA here in Alabama. We have big NASA center. The the, the you know, von Braun was here. The the Saturn missiles were partially designed and built here. So NASA is a big thing in Alabama. All right, but this is what they'll say. They say, well, we just use a flat Earth, non-rotating Earth equation to simplify the math and my i laugh because i say since when do mit rocket scientists have to simplify math you guys are the ones that are trained to do the math that we normal people don't do right <laughs> yeah. so why would you ever waste your time especially over something as massive as tracking a missile in space I have another, there's another document about projectiles, which artillery rounds, and they were doing a study on artillery rounds that were loaded with solid explosives, liquid explosives, gases, you know, different, different payloads. 
And it says all of their equations of where you shoot this artillery round to where you want it to land are based on a non-rotating flatter. Now, if we're going to hit anything with our artillery shells, and America is pretty accurate with artillery rounds, then you have to have the correct equations. So you would never use, a, uh, if it didn't exist, flat non-rotating earth equations. They call it the flat earth equation of the flat earth assumption. That's what they call it. So you would never do that. And again, I laugh at them when they say that. I'm just like, yeah, okay. You're either brainwashed to the hilt or you're just trying to cover, you're, you're trying to cover up what we've figured out here. You know, that you're, that you're a bunch of liars. Yeah. And that's what it boils down to. I mean, when you start really critically looking at this and having a humble, teachable spirit, you can't deny this stuff. And it starts to make so much sense. Um, a couple of things I wanted to touch on. Number one, Warner von Braun on his tombstone, one of the Nazi scientists, if I can read this Psalm 19, one, mm -hmm. he says the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. Yes. And so right there, was he giving us a clue? He was, he, he knew because in, you know, he came over here right after world war two. So into the sixties, we did what was called operation Dominic that had an offshoot called operation fishbowl. Okay. And what that was, was it was right after because Admiral Byrd, Operation High Jump in the 40s, they actually did an expedition to Antarctica. See, in the flat earth model or biblical earth model, Antarctica is not a continent at the bottom of the ball. It is the circular ice wall that it, it really is a 200 foot wall. And, it, and there's many pictures and proof of it. And then there's the flat plain of Antarctica. And we don't know how far it goes. And then we believe the dome comes down upon that. And that literally that is the container that holds the water, the oceans, right? There the water, you have to have a container. I mean, it's simple. I have CIA documents that admit that the Antarctica is a 200 foot ice wall. So I don't care what you, what people say it's there, right? I've got a, a whole message on Antarctica in the Bible that uh, I did at Skyfall, our conference in 2019. So if anybody, anybody wants to go and get in depth, just go to deanodle.org, D-E-A-N-O-D-L-E.org and go to um, the videos and you can find videos by topic, but it's there. But anyway, Operation High Jump, Admiral Byrd does an expedition because he was an expert at cold you know, dealing with cold temperatures. I believe, and I believe that he revealed that he found the firmament where it came down and met the earth. Because Enoch talks about, he saw where the firmament came down and met the earth. I believe they found it in about 46, 47. And so later on, they decide, well, what is this? Let's see if we can, you know, we want to break through it because we want to go to the stars, right? We want to go to the planets. So, they shoot up in 19 in the 1960s when they did Operation Dominic and high, I mean uh, Fishbowl. They shot a Thor missile up as high as they could get it and detonated it to try to break the firmament. Now, here what's wild is if you look at the video of that, when that nuclear missile detonates at the highest altitude they could get it, you can see the blue paved firmament. There's like a flash. You can see it. All right. Um, they tried to break it. They found out they couldn't break it. I mean, God made it. It's unbreakable. So that's when I believe that they discovered they could not leave the earth. 
Right. And so after that, that's why they decided, okay, we've got to fake. We've got to, to, to get people to not believe this. If we tell the truth, remember it says they would in Romans one, they would find out the truth of creation. God said they'd be without excuse, but they would suppress that truth. They have found the firmament. They know exactly where it comes down. They know about the mountain of God in the North. They know all these things they, they keep from us. But again, the Christian is supposed to believe the Bible anyway by faith, not by sight. But God will give us proofs, and these things are proofs. So, um, yeah, they. it is funny. My father-in-law was in the Air Force and part of Operation Dominic and Fishbowl. And so he he is it was a true operation. I mean, he was there. He said they they detonated one nuke and almost killed them all because they thought there was no different big difference between lithium six and lithium seven. And they 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 detonated one and they didn't know that the lithium seven was going to make the bomb ten times more powerful and it almost killed everybody. But um <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, you even think of those names. Dominic means God, right? And fishbowl, I mean. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> they, fishbowl. Now think about this. You're shooting yeah. something up in the highest to the highest altitude you can get a nuclear missile. And yeah. you're calling that Operation Fishbowl. Right. It right. doesn't make sense. So uh, absolute proof. And then there was an interview. I believe that Admiral Byrd was under because he was military and probably a Freemason as well. But he I think he was I think he had some personal conviction like this is there's truth the world should have, but if I give it, they're going to kill me, court martial me, you know, I'll be right. Cause he, he was under, you know, security issues. Yeah. Right. So if, if they told him you can't talk about this or you go to prison or worse. So he was doing an interview and he was talking about Antarctica. Now he had a coffee cup with a saucer, you know, back then they always served you when you got a coffee, it was on a saucer. Right. And he had taken the coffee cup off the saucer and set it to the side. And while he's talking about Antarctica, he's going around the outside edge of that like this. He's doing this right here in a circle. The whole. I don't think I've ever heard you say that before. The whole time. Now, I think I'm, I may have put that in the book. I can't remember. Okay. But, wow. I didn't know. But that. he was given a hint. He was given a hint about the truth there. But now I do I do cover in my book. People say, well, well, if that's so, the distances in the southern hemisphere, when you get closer to the edge, what's called the edge or the ends of the earth, the the the, the, the distances are going to be greater. Well, all of the explorers that went there first, and these are guys that were expert navigators on the sea, said that they would always be out of they would be miles out of their bearings. Uh, and couldn't figure out why. And see, because they were basing their measurements off a of spherical earth, and then they get in, you know, 60 parallel below, and they're like, this isn't working anymore. And and I document from their records how many minutes and, and miles they would be off every reading. And uh, And one, Captain Cook, Went all the way around, he said, the coastline. He tried to follow the coastline of Antarctica, and it was over 60,000 miles. And the one they give us, the, the idea they give us of Antarctica and the ball only has 11,000 miles of coastline. So somebody is lying. And I don't think it was Captain Cook because he had no reason to lie about it. 
fascinating. So fascinating. I mean, and this subject is vast, right? I, we could go into seasons. We could go into the sun, moon, and the stars. But I want you to touch on Isaiah because you, I learned this from you way back when you to establish doctrine, and this is a biblical tenet, it's a biblical principle, it has to be out of the mouth of two or three witnesses. Right. And so if you're looking at the Bible, those of you listening, you can't just cherry pick verses and say, oh, we'll see, it says right here, you've got to take it into full context of the full gospel. Yeah. And so even the firmament examples that you were giving Pastor Dean had two or three witnesses talking about the same thing, mm -hmm. David, Moses, etc. And so some of the rebuttals I've heard from Christians and others is in the book of Isaiah. And they say, note here, it says the earth is like a ball. Okay. And you've got the chug, kug, kug. Kugender. That's the yeah. Okay. Tell us about that. All right. Okay. We go to Isaiah 40, 22. This is one that Christians who don't have any concept of this, they always pull this one out because this is what they've heard taught that the earth is a sphere, right? Oh, see, the Bible taught the earth was a sphere, a sphere long before anybody knew it was a sphere. And this is their big argument as a problem. Remember, the Old Testament was originally written in the majority of it in Hebrew. And there's part, the Daniel part of it was had Aramaic, but mostly Hebrew. And then you have the New Testament written in Greek. Now, in translation, a lot of times to English, we just lose, we don't, we just don't have the full concept, right? Uh, of understanding because the Hebrew language and the Greek language was very pictorial, very uh, word picture like. All right, so there, it's always going to like, like a good example when the when it says in the uh, the New Testament, Ephesians four, it says. Give no place to the devil, right? Ephesians 4, 27. Paul said, give no place to the devil. Well, that word place, there, give no place is topos, right? Which we get our word topography from. But So it's talking about place. But it, the picture, it says, in the Greek definition, is like one taking his sword, who has it out fighting and putting it up in its sheath. Meaning, if you quit fighting the devil, you will give place to him, right? So we get the full meaning of the verse when we understand what the Greeks meant by it. Like the Greeks had five words for love, not just one like we do, all right? So it's much more descriptive language, both Hebrew and Greek. So when you go to the ancient Hebrew, Isaiah 40, 22, when it says God sits upon the circle of the earth, that word is circle, not sphere. And the translators translated it correctly because you have the word, the, the Hebrew word there is kug, and it means circle. All right. Now, a circle doesn't mean a sphere. Not all, right. Never does it mean a sphere. You go over to Isaiah 22 and you get the word. You'll see the word there. It's, it's translated in King James ball. Right. So you go to that word and you find out that the word translated ball is the word dur. D-U-W-R. All right. Way, way we would write it. So dur. So that talks about something having a pile or mass, right? Or shape. That is the word translated ball, dirt. Kug is never one time ever translated sphere or ball. It's always translated circle. And then you go to Proverbs chapter eight, when the Lord, he says, I was there. Wisdom is talking and wisdom says, I was there when he took a compass, right? and engraved a circle upon the face of the deep, all right? So when he talks about engraving a circle, guess what the word is? Kug. So again, we use 
the biblical ancient Hebrew definition. And then God gives us in, in Proverbs 8, the picture of him doing that. Because see, for instance, here, here's a beautiful illustration. On my 50th birthday, I wanted to have, I called it my Hawaii 5-0 party, right? So we dressed up in ugly Hawaiian shirts and I cooked a 70-pound pig. But we took that. What I did was I wanted to build my own uh, fire pit because we have large stones all around our property. So I was, I'm going to build my own. You know what I did? I took I took a stake and I drove it in center ground and I wanted my fire pit to be four feet across in diameter. So I took a two foot chain, measured it to two feet, put another stick in that and engraved me a circle in the ground. So I built my wall, my outer wall on that circle. So I would have a perfect circle. This is exactly what the Lord did. It says he engraved a circle. And then he says he, 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 he made the boundary. In fact, hold on here. Let me just read it real quick. Cause I think this is an important part here for our, for people that are, but Proverbs eight. I'll get to it right here. All right. Yep. Yeah, let's drop down here. So you go down to, yeah, right here, verse, verse 27. He says, when he prepared the heavens, I was there. So he's talking about the firmament, right? When he set a compass upon the face of the depth, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the foundations of the deep, when he gave the sea his decree that the water should not pass his commandment, and he appointed the foundations of the earth. So here's where he says, literally, I took a compass upon the face of the dead. And it literally means, the, it uses the word kug there to say that. So everywhere you see, and then you go back, let's go back to Isaiah 40, which they love to use all the time. He says there, the Lord sits upon the circle of the earth, right? And then he says that he stretched out the heavens and he made the earth like a tent to dwell in. And I've put up on the screen on, on uh, in our church services and conferences when I do this in the PowerPoint, I put a ball there and I put a tent there. I said, have you ever seen a tent look like a spinning, moving water ball? No. Here's why God. So, so God describes how he did it, the shape and how he did it. And circle, uh, Kug is, is, is how it's used to describe that circle he made. And you know what's interesting? In navigation, they call it the great circle navigation. They don't call it the sphere navigation. Um, and, and, and the compass, listen to this, and the compass and the astrolabe are, are instruments that have been used to navigate on the seas for, for many, many, you know, thousands of years, especially the astrolabe, all based on a flat circular earth. Okay. And this is how they navigated the seas for centuries and centuries, the great circle navigation. Um, but dur, the word dur that means ball, that's translated ball, is never used to describe the shape of the earth. Never, not one time. So if we're going to go by the original Hebrew and the word pictures and the descriptions that God gives us, whether it's Job 38 or uh, Proverbs 8 or, you know, we're going down the line, it doesn't ever say that he made a sphere. That's just not there. You have to just make it up. Well, and Isaiah had the word ball, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. 20 some chapters earlier, right, however right. many. Why wouldn't he have used that in 
the the latter chapters of Isaiah where he's talking about and describing the earth. Yeah. That's I mean, it doesn't well, make sense. Well, again, and I believe this too. I don't believe Isaiah was writing whatever he wanted to or 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 right. giving his own description of what he thought. I believe the Holy Spirit was upon him, filling him and writing through him. So I, I don't believe, you know, Peter said that the that the scriptures and the prophecies didn't come in old time by the will of men. He said, but holy men spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So, you know, a lot of Christians and even uh, seminary professors will say, well, they were just Moses and Job and uh, Isaiah. They were just describing the earth as they understood it. But we know better now. That right there is a denial of the divine inspiration of scripture that is foundation to our faith. And, uh, in, in, you know, if we can't believe that Genesis and Job and Isaiah were correct, how can we believe that Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John is correct? Um, no, Jesus talked about the stars, all of the stars falling to the earth when he, right before he comes. So, the stars can't be these massive suns that the, the scientific community tells us they are. Because if one massive sun fell to the earth, it would destroy the earth. And Jesus said the earth will stay forever. Right. So the stars must be something else. They must much be much smaller and different. And they're not going to destroy the earth when they fall. Uh, and and Jesus said they're going to fall to the earth like figs from a fig tree. So that means they're attached to something. And I believe the stars are attached to the firmament. And when God rolls it back and shakes it, the powers of heaven or the firmament will be shaken. He literally shakes it and the stars fall off the firmament like figs off a fig tree. I believe that's literal. And that's New Testament. So again, you're going to come, it comes down the line. Are you going to believe the Bible? Literally believe it. And if you're not, then you can't literally believe anything in it. Then you have people that will say, well, we can't take this is symbolic, poetic language. And that's where we get into error, too, because then is the virgin birth poetic, symbolic exactly. language? And I've heard people say that, like, well, the sun and the moon isn't really going to go dark. These are just the sun and the moon didn't really stand still in the days of Joshua. And so how do you, well, like, I just, do you navigate that? Again, here, here, here's the thing. The Bible, you know, these, these, and, and this is, this comes from a, a friend of mine who's a PhD in theology. He reads Hebrew and Greek fluently. He's uh, John, Dr. John Strass. I've interviewed him on my podcast years ago. We're still friends. He is an expert, right? He's a expert theologian in Hebrew and Greek. And um, I, I asked him one day, I said, because I lay, I did a sermon on the laws called the laws of hermeneutics or the, the biblical interpretation for true conservative Christians that believe the Bible, right? What are our laws of biblical interpretation? Well, one of the first one is take the Bible literally. That should be our first step. Now, I've said this, and this is true. And again, I've studied the Bible for 36 years. And um, I will say that even when we have symbolic language, like, for instance, we have the uh, seven-head, ten-horned beast talked about in Revelation, and people go, oh, we don't know what that is, right? Well, granted, it was one of those things we wouldn't know until the end time, and we're living in the end times. I believe that firmly. I believe the scripture bears that out. But when we see the seven-head, ten-horned beast, we know that it is a world 
government because we know from Daniel that the beast described there, the leopard, the bear, uh, the lion, and then he says this terrible beast that had 10 horns. We see them from Daniel come together, unite together in one in Revelation 13. So if they're nations over here and then they unite, what would that be in our modern world? United nations, right? Then we look and see, well, does the United Nations have seven heads and 10 horns? Absolutely does. They have the Security Council that has five members. Then they added one called the P5 plus one, which was Germany. Then they added the head of the European Union when they have a serious matter, seven heads. Underneath that is the subcommittee of the, of the Security Council, which is 10 nations, and they rotate leaders. They literally have seven heads and 10 horns right now as we speak. So what I'm saying is symbolic language is giving you a picture of something, a prophetic picture of something that's actually real, that's going to happen, right? So, um, so, and, and there's a little bit of like, say, figurative language that talks about Jesus being a lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world, but that's obvious, but it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't take away from we know he was literally the, the the definition they're trying to give is the lamb was slain for sin to cover a person's sin. And that was just trying to point that out. But when you get to creation, God is not going to make up all of these vast metaphors to not give us the truth. And think about this. If there was no NASA or Copernicus or any of this nonsense, Big Bang from Lamatre the priest, the Catholic priest, if none of this had come into our psyche from these people, and we just went by what we looked at, what we observe in the world, we would believe the Bible. We don't see the earth moving. It's still in at rest. We don't see... Um, you know, we, we, we don't see these vast distances. We, 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 we would know. We would just look around and know. We would know that the sun and the moon are moving over us in a circle. And, and there's so much evidence of that that it's, it's mind-blowing now that, again, that you never notice it until you wake up. That God has to wake you up. He has to go, hey, look, pay look at what you can see. And if um, what we observe is a non-rotating, flat earth, we can see that the, the waters must have a boundary because, because the beaches, remember he said the waters would not overpass, but at the beach they do. I mean, we can have tsunamis, we can have hurricane surges. We, a lot of times the waters at the beach go beyond their boundary, but at Antarctica, the ends of the earth, they never do. It's where it stops. Yep. No, that's the, that's an excellent point. And, you know, we didn't talk about the sun, moon, and the stars and, you think about this kind of close sun and how they're lights. The Bible describes describes them as light. And, you know, the stars doesn't say anything about planets. I think the only time the word planets is used is in like what first Kings and it's yes. talking about constellation. Right, right. right. The, the actual yeah. word there should have never been translated planets. It's, it's yeah. Mazala, which is always a reference to the constellations of the stars that move in a perfect circle, by the way, uh, over. Right. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. Yeah. And, and, to your point, I mean, you can observe these things now with this technology that we have, like the cameras you mentioned, you can see the star trails. Yes. And how do you, how did these, Captain Cook, how did he navigate the seas? 
if the stars were constantly evolving and turning and spinning, how do we see the same constellations year after year? Guys, it's, it's organized, it's orchestrated, it's structured. God has told us all along what our, what our world is and our cosmos. And so I want to, I do want to touch on this really quick. I I don't want to let you go, but can you describe to us briefly the the sun, moon, and the stars, but how that plays out and in seasons? Because that's a question I get a lot too, is how do seasons work right. um on a flat earth bottle, et cetera? Okay. And it, and it's very simple. I mean, it's again, it's the same, it's the same principle that either the, the earth, like in the heliocentric model, moves out further away from the sun and it's in its orbit, and they've got it tilted. So again, they've made up a model where they can account for that. But in the biblical model, in the Helios, I mean, in the biblical cosmology, Earth-centric view, the, of course, the sun, and this is what it says, literally, okay, Psalm 19, after it talks about the firmaments, his handiwork, it says the sun moves in a circuit. Now, the word circuit, there's coog, circle. And it says another little hint about it. It says nothing is in God's creation escapes the heat of this, our sun. So meaning there can't be galaxies hundreds of millions of light years away because our sun doesn't wouldn't affect them. But it says, and literally uh, Ecclesiastes 1 says, the sun returns to where it starts every day. Now you can't get that in the model, the, the heliocentric model, only in the biblical model. But the sun, actually what it does is it follows a path, a circular path near the equator, right? Uh, for the time period, it, it follows that path um, to give us in the northern hemisphere, right, what they call it, our summertime, right? So what it does is, is it say it's following this path right here, right? Then as, as we get to move into our winter, here's what the sun does. It starts moving its circle out a little bit. And so it it makes a different circle that moves closer to the outer edge. And that's why it goes dark for months in the north, in the Arctic, because the sun has moved away. And And for that to happen, the sun has to be much lower than people even imagine. And it is. And and it's probably, I think, I think the estimates now is probably the sun and the moon are the same size, by the way. And they're about 72 miles across. And they move in a perfect circle around over the earth. And and that's another thing. There are places like you we've had people take pictures um, like in America and then in Australia at the same time looking at the moon. And that's it would be impossible. Like the moon is over Australia. If it's a ball, it'd be underneath. And there's no way anybody in America could see it at that time. So there's a lot of this stuff that's done. But the the sun moves in that circle and it just moves out and it moves in. And then what you call an analemma, if you track, if you track, they track the moon, like they'll put a, a, a time lapse camera at a certain spot where the sun is every day. And what they find is that there's a circle, a smaller circle up here. And then as it moves out a little bit, the circle gets bigger, right? So it makes a figure eight with a fatter bottom, all right? The only way, again, that that's possible is to do, you know, the flat earth model. And I have that, I talk about that in my book as well. And I have a, I have a lot of illustrations in the book um, that are there. So 
people can see and understand it. It's it's kind of hard sometimes maybe getting the concept when I'm just describing it to you. But there's a there's a lot of evidence there. But the but Psalm 19 is crystal clear that the sun moves in a circle and that nothing escapes the heat of it. It's like a man running a race, he says. And then Ecclesiastes says that the sun comes back to the place where it started. The only way that's possible. And then that's where you get. Um, and here's another thing. Joshua in Joshua 10, when it, he says he told the sun and the moon to stand still, he literally said the sun is over this place and the moon's over this place. So I pulled up and and what, what, what happened that is that they would have to be. And I didn't know this until I looked up the ancient maps, right, where they were. They have to be due west or east of each other. Like, for instance, if the sun was here and the moon, and they got the moon over here, right, it would be off. All right. So I looked it up, and sure enough, the sun is here over this valley, and the moon is here over this one, and they're exactly in the same line. Due the the moon is due east in its process, and see, here's what happens: they they the moon, sun and the moon make these circles. And they're they're going at different speeds and different rates at times. And because they move out and in, at times they catch up with each other and interact with each other. Yeah. And that's where you get a certain types of eclipses happen that way. Okay. Thank you for touching on that. And, you know, Pastor Dean, you're in the southern part of the United States and I'm in the northern part. And I was from California and now I live in the northern Pacific Northwest. But this made so much sense to me living up here again, because my days in the summertime were so long. You know, the sun came up at five and didn't go down till nine. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, I never had that in California, but it makes sense how, you know, the days are longer because the sun is up here. Well, let me, yeah, let me, what's neat is when I was in Mauritius, remember I mentioned that a minute ago, we're in the Southern hemisphere, right? So we were, we were, we had a couple of days off during the two weeks I was preaching there. And so we got a tour around the island. So we tour the whole island. We come back around. It's like Hawaii. It's beautiful. And we come back around and the sun's going down. And I'm trying to pull out my video camera because I want to get this sunset. And the guy who was uh, the Christian, I can't remember. He was just with the church, but he was giving us a little. He said, you better hurry. It'll be gone in a second. No joke. I could not get my camera out in time and it was gone. I didn't understand that because it didn't happen that way in the Northern Hemisphere, right? I just say hemisphere, but, you know, the Northern side of the equator, we'll say that. Um, And now I understand it because if you're standing here and let's say you're standing here and you're inside the circle, the sun's going to be turning, but it's going to be with you longer. You're going to see it longer because you're inside the circle. But if you're outside the circle, it's coming this way. And real quick, it's going away from you. So that's exactly what I witnessed on the island of Mauritius. Could not get my camera out. I mean, it was within minutes. It was setting and it was gone. But then the northern side of the, you know, in in North America, we can sit there and watch the sun for a lot longer time. Yes. Right. And, And another piece of the puzzle. Right. And then you think if we're on a perfect globe. That they say, and then and you've got the Arctic and the Antarctic. Then why are those ecosystems and the animals and stuff that lives up there? Why are they different? They're yes. different. They should be the same, right? Yes. And so, yeah, you start to see that too, and it's like, wait a second, there, something's off. The 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 at the climates at the North Pole versus the South are vastly different. 
And, uh, and then that gets into the whole study on the North Pole versus the Antarctica. But we, f- we found out from explorers and everything that actually the closer you get to the North Pole, the warmer it gets. And, there, and there's a whole reason for that. And that's why you have a whole different uh, uh, array of wildlife that live in the Arctic versus the Antarctic. And, and yeah, there's the water turns warm up there. And that's what Admiral Byrd saw too. Yes. Right. Admiral Byrd, and- Admiral Byrd is one of the only men that actually went to both places. That's fascinating. Yeah. Well, and as we kind of wrap up, can you touch on maybe kind of a teaser? Because I want to have you on again to talk about just where God's throne is. What is Polaris pointing to? What are these beautiful northern lights? How how would you explain that? Yeah, I'm absolutely convinced that, you know, we see these, these lights in the north. Um, and, of course, they say it's because of sun and radiation and blah, 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 whatever. Right. But think about this is that you've got the apostles like Apostle John who never once left Israel, right? He, or he may have been in, in, you know, just in the, that area of maybe Turkey and, the, you know, he didn't go too far, right? He writes that around God's throne, there is a circle. He called it uh, of light, an emerald light and a, and a rainbow, right? But the primary light of this, rainbow that's around god's throne it's green okay now he says it's like an emerald all right i don't think it's any coincidence that we not now we know because we talk about all right for instance there's the scripture that says satan said that he would go to the mountain of god in the sides of the north and that always i never understood that like how could there be a north if we have a heliocentric model in the sense of Satan going, that's where God is. And that's where the mountain of God is. And that's where I'm going to exalt my throne above the stars and, and sit on God, basically overthrow God. Well, where's this north? Well, on the flat earth model and the biblical cosmology model, the North Pole is the center of the circle. And Polaris is directly above it. And I believe directly above that is the throne of God. And that what we what he allows us to see at times that he actually will clear the glass like he will allow the light from his throne the green emerald light to come down through and he even says like sometimes it's amber sometimes and and so every now and then you'll get some different colors but the primary color you see is green always and he said this he said my glory will fill the earth and men will see my glory now, we just dismiss that as some kind of, again, spiritual metaphor, but it's literal. I have heard stories of people who are total atheist agnostics that the first time they see, they're like going to the north and they see this, they fall to their knees and start crying and don't know why. Have no idea. It's the glory of God. There's no question to me about it, that it's it's the glory from, from the throne. And, and here's the thing. How could you get the colors right as you're an apostle in the Middle East, never having visited an area where you could see the Aurora Borealis and you get the colors right? How could that happen? Exactly. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah. It is so fascinating. And, and I love how you teach. You're, you really have a gift of teaching. You are a teacher. You are a pastor, but you are a teacher. And 
Um, I think it's you guys, when you start to understand this, it's, it blows your mind. It brings you so much closer to God. And you, like you said, you see his glory, you see his creation, um, for what it is and how he has organized it and orchestrated it. It's, it just increases your faith. And so as we wrap up, Pastor Dean, I just want you, I, I like to leave my podcast with hope and, um, you know, you've given us so much to ponder and I hope you all are, are just letting this sink in, take it to the Lord, ask him to show you, ask him to, you know, remove some scales if you need to. And yet we like to leave with hope. So lots of hope here, but what would you, what would you say as we kind of wrap this up? The beautiful thing of this whole thing to me is not that I needed more proof, but there are people who needed more proof. And the beautiful thing is, is that basically once again, and we we talked about this a little beforehand, is that just like when Thomas, you know, Thomas was one of the apostles. He saw everything Jesus did. But when Jesus died on the cross for our sins and he was in the grave that time period, Thomas was doubting. And then Jesus appeared to some of the women and then appeared to the other apostles. And Thomas said, unless I see the nail prints in his hands and and thrust my hand into the his side where the spear went in, I will not believe. And Jesus appears in the room. Now, Jesus is resurrected from the dead. He's He has a flesh and bone body. And he says, come, Thomas, come look at the nail prints in my in my hands and come thrust your hand in my side and see the spear wound because they're still there and he said you know blessed are you you know he, he fell down and said my lord and my god there's just some people out there that have to see some proof they have to see some evidence and the lord's not against that and i believe this entire revelation of his creation now is to give those people some more proof. Now they can choose to believe it or not, but the evidence is there and they can go out and test it. They can go with us to Mobile Bay and we can show them. Um, There's plenty of evidence that can prove that God's word is true from Genesis to Revelation so you can trust it. And to me, that's the most beautiful thing is that you can trust that the Bible is the inspired, infallible, true words that God wanted mankind to know and there's proof there. I mean, even like, I mean, too, like there's simple proofs, like when he told him to, to circumcise the male child on the eighth day, and we find out science, true science finds out that on the eighth day in a male child, the blood creates the, the, the chemicals or whatever to, to, to create coag- a, a high level of coag- blood co- coagulation. So that's the best day to actually do the circumcision. So there won't be much bleeding. And he will heal more quickly. Well, nobody knew that, but God said, do it on the eighth day. So this, again, this is just stuff like that, that the Lord's just giving us another, here's proof. I am your creator. I am your God. I I, I am your savior, your redeemer. Uh, I am the, the way, the truth, and the life. As Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you can trust the Bible word for word from Genesis to Revelation and take it into your heart and know that it's not of men. It wasn't just written by men. It's not fairy tales. It's really the truth. And that truth is the only truth that's going to set you free. That's going to give you forgiveness of sins. That'll give you power against the the demons and Satan to be able to stand against them. And the fact that you have the promise of if you continue to follow Jesus with all your heart and walk with him and get to know him, that you have the promise of eternal life 
not only in heaven, but the Bible says the meek shall inherit the earth. Jesus, when he returns, he's going to fix all the damage done to the earth by the wicked elite. You know, they blame us for destroying the earth, but it's them with the the, the dupe weapons and the manipulation of the weather and all the chemical, everything that they've done. Jesus is going to fix that. And he says, then he's going to hand us, he's going to hand his people. Here's the earth. It's all yours. The earth will be forever. And I think we, he may even, as he removes the firmament, he may, there may even be more beyond there. Uh, um, because, because in Proverbs, he says, there's the habitable part of the earth. And then in, in Acts 17, he says, there's the boundary where men can go no further. But if he removes that, we may find out that he's got far more for us. But whether he does or he does it, he talks about the new Jerusalem coming down. I tell people, I said, I'm going to have a home in heaven. I'm going to have mansions in heaven. Jesus said, I'm going to have an apartment, a city home in the new Jerusalem that comes down and, and is rest. And I'm going to get my country home again here on the earth. I get everything. The, the people, the people of God, the followers of Jesus Christ that are faithful to him, until the end, whether the end of their life or the, the his second coming, those who are faithful to him and his word are going to inherit everything, heaven, earth, and eternity. And then he says, and then God says this, that the eye has not seen and ear has not heard the things that God has prepared for those that love him, meaning there's so much more he's going to do for us and show us beyond what we can even fathom, beyond what's even written in the scriptures. He's only given us a taste. We only have a little idea. So I would say to people, you can trust him. You can trust the Bible. Uh, it is going to be, you don't want to miss out on heaven and eternity and inheriting the earth and all the glorious things that are going to be done for eternity there is nothing here. There is no sexual sin or drug sin or whatever. There's no pleasure here on earth that's worth, that, that's evil. There's no evil vice or whatever, adultery, fornication. There's nothing here worth losing that. And Jesus paid the price for your sins. It's already paid. He died on that cross so that you could be forgiven and have eternal life. And he rose from the dead on the third day to prove He's God in the flesh and that he can give you forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And that's what you want to find. It, even if you disagree with us about the shape of the earth and, and creation, please don't turn away from Jesus and miss out on, on a wonderful eternity. Yes. Amen. I love that. That is hope. And that is our hope. And I think this has just been a great conversation, Pastor Dean. I appreciate you coming on and sharing all of your research, all of your experiences. And um, I just thank you all for listening and we'll have to have you on again. We'll do it so again. We'll, yeah, I enjoyed we'll, it very we'll, much. Thank you for having yeah, me. I did too. Um, and I know our listeners will glean a lot of information from this. So uh, until next time, we'll see you guys. Have a good one. <laughs>